Hello everyone. Welcome to Take a Fashion Seat. Today we're going to be reading from book number five and episode number 15. So the name of the book is titled Dior and His Decorators. Victor Grandpierre, Georges Jeffrey, and The New Look. So in the book, I learned a lot. It was a fascinating story, which it started off, at first it was written by Maureen Footer and forwarded by Hamish Bowles. Um, they did a fantastic job with this book. Of course, I'm an avid reader and I like to just dig into different stories. My favorite type of book to read is history. So that's why I love this stuff. This is just something in my heart. I love history, all things about things of the past. So Dior, um, the book starts off as Dior and his decorators, Victor Grandpierre, Georges Jeffrey, and the new look, an examination of the intimate connection of couture and interiors is the first work on the two Parisian interior designers, most closely associated with Christian Dior. The first study of the evolution of Dior's aesthetic as seen through his houses and the first study of the development of Dior brand. After years of wartime decoration, decorators Victor Grandpior and George Jeffrey arrived like spring on a wintry design landscape and like the unbashedly luxurious Belle Epicou inspired fashions of Christian Dior's new look. Their design scented with grace. History and connoisseurship brought vital oxygen into the aesthetic atmosphere of mid-century France. So the author, she was an expert in French decorative arts and former interior designer, evokes this heady atmosphere in her recounting of the lives and work of this influential trio. Illustrated with a trove of evocative vintage photographs, she traces the trajectory of Dior from his coddled childhood in Normandy through his first career as a gallerist to the phenomenal success as a couturier. I hope I pronounced that correctly. So let's dig into the book. So I'm going to read a little bit, um, excuse me for that, I just dropped something. So it forwarded with Hamish Bowles. I thought um, his uh, forward was great. I'm just going to read a little of it. Um, when Christian Dior created the first collection in the frigid winter of 1946, his vision was escapist. In a Paris assaulted and traumatized by the years of war and the occupation, Dior imagined a boutique of flower women of full corral skirts and melting shoulders, hand-span waists and plumply buttressed bottom, bosoms. The silhouettes of his Edwardian infancy before the viscerates of the conflict transformed the world order for affluent classes. So, in a world that was looking to reinvent a post-war aesthetic in architectural furniture, automotive and fashion design, through innovation and focus on practicality, speed, and labor-free invention. Their brave new world of fashion and interior design was seeped in the past, the world of Sam and Comtes Gruff Halli, who came to witness Dior's debut collection, looking as through she had stepped 
from a LaGroove photograph and a Mary Wendell pictured hat and lavish fur stole. So that was like Hamish Bowles forward. And the price face told a little bit about the uh, decorators. Most striking about Dior, Jeffrey, and Grand Pierre was their artistry intermingled. Not only did their lives and careers overlap, but their hot couture creations and high style interiors spoke through different media. The same language, the writings of Christian Dior. So um, there was a lot of pretty pictures um, of these Dior designs. Um, and he talked about in the prologue, the Paris in the spring of 1947. No one had seen clothes like this before. Dresses that captured a civilization in flounce. Even those legendary paragons of chic Etienne de Beaumont and the Comtesse de Grelard leaned forward in their gilt wood chairs to take in the wonders of silhouette and technique unfurling before them. One sighed with pleasure at the perfections of it all. Poised clothes, a hint of perfume, Sonia's rooms with no shabby reminders of the recent occupation. Through peace had been declared two years earlier. France still struggled to find its economic, social, and political footing. In Paris, the mood was depressed. Rationing strikes, record coal, and spotty electricity still dimmed in brilliance. With one swish of silk skirt, Kristen Dior's new look promised a new romance civility and sophistication spring had returned to Paris I thought that was so fascinating and one of the first designs of the book was on page 13 and it was it showed the Krillian Bador at the Metropolitan Museum revealed the aesthetic and techniques of Louis the 16th style like Dior Victor Grandpierre and George Jeffrey translated for a modern air tradition developed at Versailles and perfected over generations. So it was a beautiful room and many of the rooms that were designed for him were perfect. Um, as you thumb through the book, you will enjoy many of the pictures. I'm gonna read another picture from 17. It was picking up where the 18th century room left New look rooms in Paris became warm and personal. Colors intensified. Ceremony yielded to comfort. Ritual ceded to amusement. Always, however, design was refined and beautiful. So, like, just as Dior defined new look fashion, his Paris resident epitomized new look decoration. Like gold, Dior's townhouse was divided into three parts. Um, the distribution of roles determined by the personalities of three decorators, George's Jeffrey, Social Butterfly, and Connoisseur Par Excellence, decorated the reception rooms. Reserve Victor Grandpierre, Massive Mind of the Mason Christian Dewar Interiors at 30 Avenue Montaigne, designed the private rooms, study, and winter garden. And Pierre Delby of Jansen was in charge of the continuity in upholstery, curtains, and woodwork. The finished project including a winter garden draped in shiny silk, a drawing room with velvet walls, a bath with gold swan fittings, all accessorized with embossed Louis Vuitton 
the 16th virgins and Canitia palms sparkled with reference to the bell epicute in the 18th century. The final touch of Gina Sazqua, a handsome Spanish butler, spoke to the era's penchant for luxury and internalization. So this was some of the first rooms that they designed. Um, and to describe them was amazing. I mean, Kristen Dior class was just so epic. You know, reading through each page, I had to like just stop and, and be in awe of what I just read, the beauty. And when I looked at, when I was growing up, um, I didn't grow up, I grew up poor, but not completely poor. Um, my parents both were, um, they made money and we were able to buy things. But watching, you know, as I grew older, of course, I would consider myself now middle class, but growing up and watching my mom decorate her house, that's when I started falling in love with um, better things. Even with a little bit of money, she liked classy couture looks and furniture. So I was, um, and then she would buy these amazing books and put them on the bookshelf and I would just read through them about how people live. That's how I started. Like that's how I developed um, a mind to want more and to dream and to write and to travel and do things like that. So that's why I'm in love with this stuff. Okay, moving along. This isn't about me. It's about Dior. Okay, so the next page. Now I put, I took a picture of page 20 with the lady looking out the window. Um, I put it, I think, on my TikTok page, my Instagram page, and my Twitter page. But Dior, it reads like this. Whatever the whim, the rage, the dernier Cree French tradition anchored the new look aesthetic. Fashionably bare and meticulously hand-pleated Dior's Mozart gown of 1950 would be perfectly at ease in the Hall of Mirrors at Versailles. You gotta see the dress. Um, check out my page and you can, um, I put it on again today. So you can check it out. The dress was like, oh my gosh, I wish I could just, like just go to Paris now and just go look for pictures of that dress because it was exquisite. So um, as the book goes on, um, they also showed, um, they decorated a Duff Cooper library at the British Embassy in Paris. The first decorating tour de force after the liberation of Paris. Worldliness, charm, architectural elements, and Trump counted the grim reality with style and meek acclaim of the day. So, you know, and then part one, he cultivated the vision and talked about, um, so the elements of style, Kristen Dior, 1905 to 46. Before he dreamed of dresses, Kristen Dior envisioned houses. In another life, the one in which his cautious parents did allow him to study architecture at the École des Beaux Arts. The Couturier might have designed buildings that rose after three above solid foundations rather than dresses that floated over structured underpinnings. In the end, however, the medium hardly mattered. Christian Dior, the most consistent of men, would have accomplished the same feat and answered the same moose elegance, the revolutized long-standing French tradition. Houses first exercised their hold on the young Dior in 1906. 
So his love at first, you guys, was architect and designs and decorating. He loved the aesthetics of what that would look like. So moving along, um, they showed a picture of the calm cadences of less rooms, the the Orr House and the Normandy. So looking at the picture, everyone, the house was very beautiful, well put together, it looked so classy. Um, and it they talked a little bit about it. It looked theatrical, so when you see the pictures of his home, it was nice. Now let me tell you a little bit about Kristen Dior's family. They did show a picture on page 30, the Norman fam family of Dior with a whiff of stylish Angevin blood thrown and posed in the gardens of Les Romans. While these gardens inspired Dior's romantic flower-hued Corolla form dresses, Hardy Norman Jean's responsible resource for intelligent balance his dreamy qualities. Kristen is standing on the left. His sister Catherine, for whom Miss Dior perfume is named, is sitting between her parents. So it's so good to just read history about people. Not only should you just buy things and wear things, you should look it up and see who you're wearing and where they come from. And it can become fascinating to you. It's a wearing things with a purpose that's how I always felt so moving along it's a, a large book so I'm just gonna go as fast as I can and try to get through most of it so next um, um, I'm gonna talk about a room of one's own and Kant's and Bergloid's comfort on the Rue Louis David studying musical composition by day and sleeping himself in the arts by night hosting musicals at which guests sat in scandalous semi-darkness on the floor of his mother's salon and adjoining his room with drawings by his new friend Kristen Barad, Dior continued his privileged youth. At some point, music as a career was lightly justice. Instead, after compulsory military service in 1928 at the ripe age of 23, Dior, in partnership with Jacques Bongin, found an art gallery on the Rue de so he studied music and he loved it but life took another path I mean you know he just wanted to do other things that was his choice he was very accomplished and he wanted to do what he wanted to do so um, in one of the pictures on page 40 it was George Jeffrey who brought Dior he's standing to the attention of hot couture so that's when the whole hot couture thing started for him. Um, you know, he it was George Jeffrey. So, like I said, these decorators were with him, and they taught him a lot of things, and he rose up from their teachings. Now, the or um, was both artistic and domestic, and that's why he was able to cre create a lot of things. Um, and I'm gonna move along. Because there's so much to talk about. And it would take like hours to get through the whole thing. So let's talk a little bit about. Well I'm going to talk to you guys a little bit about George's Jeffrey. 1905 to 46. Though George Jeffrey was born in the 20th century. Bird voice. He had the qualities of an 18th century couture. Advising prince of industry. Aristocrats. Connoisseurs. And bond beyond And presiding over a salon. His life was, for all intents and purpose, courtly. He was also a Norman grandeur. 
So he was just a stylish gentleman that just sat with class. Now, the picture I'm looking at, he's sitting cross-legged with a cigarette in his hand. So what I'm learning about him, he was a smoker. So he's sitting there looking classy and smoking his cigarette, I guess, to get through whatever he was with, with the challenges of life. So fashionably experiments like Dior, Jeffrey wandered toward professional accomplishments, picking up useful elements along the way. At 20, he co-designed the sets for Les Adventures of Robert McCory, a silent movie directed by the rising young filmmaker and theorist, Gene Epstein. So, I mean, he was all over the place, even doing films. So I'm looking at pictures of the beautiful gowns and Dior styles and um, rooms that they decorated. So many of them was um, in Paris, in rooms and libraries and houses, um, bookcases. They really could do a good book, a library. They, the libraries were beautiful. You've got to see them. So let me talk about this bedroom on page 75. Helene Roach's celestial bedroom, exceptional in its calm beauty color and originality. It represents Jeffrey's first masterpiece. Roaches lived in this apartment to the end of her life, and through she redecorated it over the years, she kept much of the furniture that Jeffy had selected. I mean, you've got to see this bed. Silk everywhere. I mean, it's beautiful. It has flowers, and I mean, it's just everything. So, we're finished with him, and now we're going to talk, we're finished with Jeffrey, and now we're going to talk about Victor Grandpierre, 1906 to 1946. While Dior was happily in the 16th arrondissement with Victor Gampiore was growing up across the Champs, Elise, and somewhat more unusual circumstances, for Victor bore a physical resemblance to his father, the architect and society darling, Henry Grandpierre, he never knew him, born in 1856 to a carpenter and suits. Henry Grandpierre moved to Paris and made his way in society through his charm and wit. Not unlike Balzac's hero, Rastnock, he first practiced an earnest form of architect, traveling to England to study workers' lodgings, publishing tracts on housing reform, and building attractive, inexpensive houses, which earned him the name an architect. So he was very talented with the combination of talent and natural superb work so he did a lot of things um, I'm looking at this beautiful on page 81 Henry Grandpierre's townhouse was there um, he did some work for Winner Redder singer Princess Edmund D. Polignac was purpose-built for her musical salons over the years she um, Hosted performances by Igor Stravinsky. Her salons, both in Paris and her palazzo in Venice, attracted the elite. So he did some things for her, which was beautiful. And um, let me read a little bit more about. Um, okay, let me see some more about the things that he did. Okay, as, as the decades progressed. Grand Pierre's sensibility shifted. It must have been obvious to a young man of serious, albeit while concealed, disposition that the days 
of frequenting posh watering holes were numbered. Now in his 30s, Grand Pierre focused on work. Gossip columns mentions dwindled as his reputation as a photographer grew. His inclusion in a photography exhibit alongside Jacques Henry Larue, Hubert D. Segnexat, and Andre Austere attests to his professional stature. He tested to the waters of fashion photography. So he did a lot of photography. I'm looking at many of the work. Um, very nice. Um, and he worked a lot alongside Kristen Dior. Okay, so we gotta hurry up through. We only have a couple more minutes. So the new look was the vision becomes a style. So from the moment Ferdinand opened the door, the establishment of Dior conveyed civility. Across a limestone hall, up the broad stair, and past Silvery Staten, the creamy salon awaited. Velvet carpet muted sound to the scent of Miss Dior ting the air. Delicate dresses and graceful suits, timeless and workmanship, was visionary in design. Dior understood that he was living at the dawn of the new era, one that required his own style. He reached for the past for the look of the future. Um, he brought it there. So um, I'm going to tell you about Christian Dior, page 101, where he chose 30 Avenue Montenegro for his headquarters because it exemplified the discreet, elegant taste he sought. And everyone knows about the beautiful Christian Dior salon. I mean, it was so beautiful. And there he just lived his amazing designer life. Um, and it has pictures of him, of the beautiful dresses that were created. I mean, it's just, they're so beautiful. And then on page 118, Dior becomes an institution. In 1955, a new boutique, it facade embellished with signature oval couture's and window curtains open in the building. So he just I just kept growing. Then the perfume came, and everybody knew. With then the new look in residence, and I like. I'm going to talk about one more picture that I loved, and it was on page 147. It was um, the Cafe Society. So in Paris, they live for the Cafe Society. Boutonnieres and balding, he can be glimpsed among the beau monde at the dinner hosted by the Baron. So at the many hotels and cafes. Dior hung out. I mean, he was a society gentleman. And for all that he did in life, not only did I want to talk about his designs, but I wanted to talk about his decorators. And because that's how he started. So, what I took from the book was a lot. Beauty. Uh, craftsmanship. He was just a mastermind of fashion. So, um, this is the sad part. Um, expansion for France began in 1949 with the opening of Christian Dior in New York. He did um, movies with Alfred Hitchcock and a whole lot of other things. This is when he expanded. Starts spreading all over the world. In 1950, um, he did a lot of amazing things, but right after he opened up, you know, his Christian Dior store and salon in New York, um, he died. He had a third heart attack, and he died in October of 1957. Long live Dior. Um, all I can say is that I enjoyed the book, and 
May he rest in peace. Thank you for joining Take a Fashion Seat. Um, good night, good evening to all. Thank you.